Welcome to Engagement Matters, the podcast for business professionals who want to effectively engage with stakeholders and increase the productivity of their teams. Brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. For more resources and to subscribe to the show, visit jhw.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Engagement Matters podcast. My name is Christina Cantors and I am joined today by Ralph Muir-Morris from JHW Corporate Training. Ralph has joined me over the last few episodes to talk about the personality compass and how we can learn to communicate and engage better with people who are not like us from a personality point of view. And today's episode is the last piece of the puzzle of the personality quadrants. And the personality style we will be discussing, we're calling friendship and collaboration. Ralph, to get us started, can you explain a little bit about what the friendship and collaboration personality is like? Certainly, Christina. Happy to do that. This is a group that think about other people above and beyond themselves. So um, these are the team players of the world. They are the people that make it a nice workplace to come to because they care about us. And they ask about us and they notice us and they they experience our pain. They're very empathetic. They're really interested in the team succeeding. So they'll do what they need to do to be a, a solid team contributor. They don't look for the accolades for themselves. They'll often say, oh, no, no, it was a team effort or, you know, everybody helped me. And you hear a lot of that languaging around, I don't need the spotlight on me because as a decent human being, I'm trying to make sure everybody succeeds. The, the military term is leave nobody behind and that's that whole feel about them. They're very warm, generous human beings. They care about the world, they care about the planet, they care about the environment, they care about all of us uh, living harmoniously together. Mm, so they're lovely. They are. They are I, I can always tell who's a friendship and collaboration person when I feel like I'm talking too much because they they just keep asking me questions about myself. And I'm like, oh, aren't they lovely? Because they're asking me questions. How, how else can we spot one, Ralph? Well, they are very good at getting us to talk and they're very good at focusing the attention on us because they don't need the spotlight. They also um, make you feel nice. You know, they, they uh, give you a hug when you need one. They're so easy to talk to that a lot of people unburden themselves. They'll go and talk to somebody who's friendship and collaboration about stuff they wouldn't talk to anyone else about. They, um, they're very trusted people and they're great counsellors and, and, and wonderfully empathetic. So um, if you're having a bad day, they're just a lovely person to sit down and have a cup of tea with and you know unburden yourself a bit and they, they take that on. That, that, that's part of what they do. You'll find a lot of them running not-for-profit organisations because it's a whole committee, community, let's all work together feel that they're very good at and they're very good at making sure everybody is happy and and on board. Um, Some of us can go, well, everybody seems to be fine, let's just race off down the path and we exclude people. They don't do that. They want to get things done but they want to make sure that this is a long-term sustainable thing. And they're also the kind of moral compass of a lot of organisations because they'll say, well, you know what, it's not okay to pollute the river. It's not okay to put people at risk. It's not okay to have, you know, um, sweatshops making clothing for us. It's that bigger, um, broader, more ethical thought process that is the real value they bring to organisations. 
very good at keeping morale up. You know, if you want to know how the troops are, you go and ask a friendship and collaboration because they're, they're always across it. Mm. I think that's really important to note that because people trust in them and confide in them, they often know what's going on with everything. So if you want to know something, <laughs> go speak to a friendship and collaboration person. Well, I'll certainly tell you if everybody's happy or not. They mm. won't give away confidences quite, but they will certainly tell you if everybody's happy and, and whether there's something that needs to be done about morale and and uh, the way things are around, around the place. They're also um, somebody that wants to make sure that this is a place that everybody wants to come to and everyone's safe coming to. And so at that level, you'll find them in HR, you'll find them in customer support. Um, but it's really about them making an effort for all of us. And the downside of that, of course, is they'll volunteer for things not based on their ability to do that role, more based on the fact that nobody else put their hand up. And so they think, well, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to help the team. Mm. So they then put their best foot forward, which may not be perfect, and can often be criticised for not doing a wonderful job, which, of course, is the cruel irony of actually volunteering when <laughs> nobody else would. Mm. So why is it important that we learn to communicate well with them? It's very easy, particularly for those of us in the West who are very concerned about task and delivery and quality, to lose sight of the human, to lose sight of the individual. We know, for example, in IT that the reason that most new IT systems fail is not the coding. It's called user acceptance. And the user acceptance problem is that we didn't include the human beings or we didn't think through the implications for the human beings who are going to have to use this new system. We didn't talk to them, we didn't engage them, we didn't make them feel comfortable. And so we can spend millions of dollars on a, pro on a, on a program to find it doesn't really work very well. Well, as I say, the code works. It's just the people who have to use the code that are going to struggle with it if we haven't thought of them. You know, it's really interesting you say that because I saw Laura Cardinal, who's the GM of product development at Zero, the accounting software um, company. I saw her speak at Pause Fest and she was talking about how to create beautiful software that people love to use, you have to feel love for it and you have to really connect with the team and she said that they actually put their customer service people physically sitting next to the programmers because then the programmers were able to hear the conversations that the customer service people were having with the customers and from there they were actually able to pick up ways in which the software wasn't working for the end user and were able to incorporate it. So they actually needed those friendship and collaboration people to um, draw out that information and needs from the users, which I found totally fascinating. So you're absolutely right. Well, if you think about it, uh, if I ring up and I, and I start talking to a friendship and collaboration person, I'm probably going to unburden whatever, whatever that's bothering me. If I talk to a different quadrant, I may not give them as much information or I may not feel as comfortable with them. So the amount of information I'm going to divulge will be less or I'm potentially going to get grumpy if I get that kind of computer says no thing uh, that some quadrants can kind of come up with. So for somebody to sit there and empathise with me and to actually listen to me, and we know at a communication level, being heard is enormously powerful. So if I feel heard, if I feel listened to and I feel valued, I'm going to enjoy that experience. I'm going to rate that company well. And for a lot of us, you know, it's very simple. Our best customers are not the customers that had 
nothing but good experiences. Our best customers, our net promoters, the people that, you know, sing our praises are the ones that had a problem and we fixed it. Mm. And that's what gives loyalty. That's what's the stickiness around customers is that we grabbed hold of the problem and we sorted it for them. Now, friendship and collaboration are very good at getting people to talk, unburden, move past the annoyance and start communicating. Um, so they're an enormously valuable group and, as I say, they let us know how that human resource we have, all those people, how they're going. And if I think about the level of disconnection in corporate Australia, in corporate the globe really, it's it's alarmingly high. A lot of people are not engaged in their work, in their workspace. And we need to hear about that. We need to hear why we need to better bring them on board and not just say, well, we pay them, they should do the job. Or as we're a bit prone to, let's just reorganise everything because that, that, that merry-go-round didn't work so well. We could have stopped and asked the people who knew what was wrong. Often it's not very complicated. It's just a matter of listening and making people feel valuable. Mm. So clearly very important to have them in the workplace. So tell me, Ralph, what makes a friendship and collaboration person angry or stressed? Do they even get angry? Do they just get frazzled? (laughs) Everybody gets angry. Like our subject matter experts, friendship and collaboration – don't want to leap to take action. They want to make sure they get it right and they want to make sure they don't do any damage. Now, they're very concerned about maintaining the relationship with other people because they value relationships enormously. They may try and get somebody to help. And by that, I mean if I'm friendship and collaboration and you haven't delivered the report you promised to me, I won't go and confront you and say, Christina, you're a very, very bad person. I will probably ask my boss or your boss or somebody that I know and get on well with to just have a quiet word in your ear, you know, just to encourage you. And so by that, doing that, I don't have to damage our relationship. I don't have to be involved in any confrontation. I can use a bit of leverage, a bit of people power to help move the situation forward. So they use the good relationships that they have to then indirectly ask you that question. Yeah, a bit of influence, a bit, a bit of subtle influence. The thing you need to be aware of, though, is if you keep pushing them, they don't stay calm forever. And, in fact, when they blow up, it's like nobody else. And so if you've ever been attacked by a friendship and collaboration, you'll know all about it because while they've been listening to you and hearing all the things about you and all your strengths, they're also hearing about all your weaknesses. <laughs> so you have no defence when you're attacked by it's friendship like, and collaboration. I know everything about you. Yes. <laughs> I know where you live. Uh, so, yeah, just don't poke the possum too much because um, when they go off, they really go off. You know, it's like Vesuvius erupting. They felt terrible about it later, obviously, but um, they're not to be messed with. They're important people and they have influence across the organisation. So while they may not be the CEO, they can certainly influence a lot of people to get things to happen or not to happen. So which quadrant finds it the most difficult to communicate with friendship and collaboration? Power and control normally. They don't value the relationships as much as they might and they misconstrue concern for others and wanting to onboard everybody with dragging the chain. They, they see it as a bit time-wasting and I remember I spent I had an assignment as the HR director for a small, small company and it was a part-time job because it was only a small company and then uh, we finished and we got what we wanted to, to do 
achieved. I remember later on the managing director said to my colleague, yeah, look, I I think there was a fair bit of time, you know, people just whinging to Ralph. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, okay, I think that was the point. Uh, So some people value that um, looking after people, that um, not a lot of power and control necessarily understand the need for counselling, the need for emotional support and the need to make sure that the user is comfortable they're more comfortable using authority to just tell people what to do. It doesn't engage people. And so that gap between power and control and friendship and collaboration is quite big because friendship and collaboration don't feel heard and appreciated. Power and control feel like it's too much of a waste of time. Mm. So what's the best advice that you would have for someone in the friendship and collaboration quadrant on how they can best be successful and communicate and engage people well in the workplace? In the same way that I'd say to an SME, you can't have 100% perfect, I would say to friendship and collaboration, you can't have 100% happy. No matter what the decision is, one or two people will have a problem with it. And we need to make sure that the vast majority of people are on board, but there'll be some exceptions, some outliers. You have to let it go and move forward. You can't wait till every single person's happy because it's unlikely to happen in totality. So 75%. Completed task-wise, SMEs need to move on. 75% happy as a team, time to move on. The other thing that I would say to them is that they need to demonstrate their value. They're very good at talking about the team and how everybody pitched in. Power and control particularly, a lot of their decision makers need to know what value the individual brings. Why do I keep you in that team as opposed to putting somebody else in that team? Because they don't see the value in, oh, but I keep everyone happy. They yeah. won't necessarily see the value in that. Not a lot of KPIs written to that to, to <laughs> that point, you know, how happy did you keep everybody? So we need to make sure that the value we bring in terms of getting on everybody on board and moving in the right direction, those sorts of things are articulated and they need to be a bit more upfront about who they are and what they bring to the table, answer the question, why I'm being paid. If they can do that, they're going to be more successful. Mm. And I suppose if you're having trouble, if you are a friendship and collaboration person and you're having trouble finding out your value, then ask someone who does see the value in you. Get that feedback from them because, I mean, a lot of people go through this, they find it hard to see see their own value and you need sometimes you need that external pair of eyes to to give you that to give you that feedback. I would say it's a bit I don't often use this expression. There's a there's the trump factor in here somewhere. People often say, Oh, you know, I'm not that good at things and it's no big deal and what I do is not particularly interesting and why would you bother with me? Well if Donald Trump can become the president of the United States <laughs> For God's sake, anyone should be pumping their own tires up because uh, this is a man on the back of nothing, uh, got the biggest job in the world. We need to appreciate the strengths we bring to the table and we need not to be too shy about, at the right time, articulating those to the people that matter. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. That's a, some really great insights there into the last piece of the personality compass. So thank you for that. Will we be seeing you in any other future 
Engagement Matters podcast episodes? Apparently so. We've got a few in the pipeline, but um, you'll have to wait. All right. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, I believe we will be back next week with John Williams again. So, but thanks again, Ralph. This has been really great. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for listening to Engagement Matters, the podcast brought to you by JHW Corporate Training. To download free resources or to join one of our public engagement skills workshops, visit jhw.com.au.